You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We begin tonight with breaking news that could impact thousands of commuters. That's right. Bus drivers, sea bus operators, and maintenance workers for the Coast Mountain Bus Company have issued 72 hour strike notice. The union says it could take some kind of action by Friday morning if there's no deal by midnight Thursday. Workers are demanding better wages, benefits, and working conditions, and they've been without a contract since March. Now, new numbers tonight show the dumpster fire at ICBC is only intensifying. The public auto insurer's books for the last fiscal year are awash in red. Richard Zussman has the staggering numbers and where all that money is going. The crashes, the injuries, the lawsuits, they are all piling up. ICBC registering a $1.15 billion loss last year and spending nearly $2 billion in court and legal costs for settlements. You're looking at more than uh, uh, half, half a billion dollars uh, in terms of just lawyers' fees alone. A small part of the province's attempt to save money has been cracking down on executive compensation. Last year, the province reduced the number of highest paid employees in all three categories. This is one of the areas where we've had uh, some pretty good success. But compare that to a few years ago, and compensation numbers are still out of whack, including an 89% increase for those making between $200,000 and $300,000 a year. British Columbian should have steam coming out of the ears just based on that fact alone. If he says he's 15 in the system, yet we have a huge increase of people making significant dollars. In the past, there's been talk of ICBC selling its buildings to generate money to soften the blow of losses. That's off the table. What we won't be doing is selling the silverware, essentially, to pay the rent. While the government isn't contemplating selling any of ICBC's buildings, they are accusing the previous government of trying to give one away. Attorney General David Eby says that former Transportation Minister Todd Stone, back in 2015, tried to give away a training facility. Global News has now obtained a copy of Stone's speech. I'm pleased to announce that as part of this, uh, as part of this transition, uh, I have directed ICBC to transfer uh, their training facility uh, from their, their ownership and control to the ownership and control of the ARA. Now, Stone accusing EB of using smoke and mirrors, saying he discussed the move with the Automotive Retailers Association, but decided it wasn't worth it. The number one principle that we had going into those discussions was uh, any deal that we do has to be first and foremost uh, in the best interest of taxpayers, has to be in the best interest of ICBC. So it didn't happen. What can't be covered by smoke and mirrors are climbing losses. And if they don't disappear, one surefire solution is increasing insurance rates for everyone. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. All right, Keith Baldry joins us now live from Victoria. Keith, where do they even begin to get back on track and is privatization even an option here? Yeah, yeah, the P word everybody's kicking around. I don't see that happening, certainly under the NDP. Uh, ICBC is a sacred cow for the NDP. It created this Crown Corporation back in the 1970s. But it also views ICBC similarly to how the B.C. Liberals viewed it, and that is a potential cash cow. The Liberals took more than a billion dollars out of ICBC over the years. The NDP decried that practice. But guess what? This is the NDP fiscal plan, and it looks like they expect to be able to do the exact same thing once these losses are gotten rid of. So take a look at these numbers uh, from the three-year 
fiscal plan. First of all, uh, this year, a loss of $50 million expected to be uh, uh, held by ICBC. But then the dividends start to come in again. $86 million next year, $148 million the year after that. That's more than than $230 million in two years alone. That money goes into general revenue to pay for all sorts of things, whether it's health and education or other government services. Clearly, the NDP thinks they can get ICBC back on a sound fiscal footing, and that means stepping in and and literally delving into ICBC's funds and uh, incorporating that revenue back onto the government's books. So it looks like not much is going to change in the near future on that front. Well, that money is intoxicating to governments, isn't it? Thanks very much for that, Keith. Meantime, a Maple Ridge couple says ICBC is putting up a fight over paying for damage their vehicles sustained in a crash. As Grace Key reports, despite having clear dash cam footage, which they say shows what happened, dealing with ICBC has been a nightmare. Luckily for Dwayne McDonough, his dash cam caught the driver who hit his truck and then drove off. It happened more than a week ago in Maple Ridge at 222nd and Mohit Highway. The driver was eventually located. And since Duane wasn't at fault, he never thought he would be at such odds with ICBC. Horrible. Horrible. It's, It's common sense. It wasn't broken beforehand. It's broken now. So it hit the tire here as I was making the turn. Dwayne says after the collision, his truck started shaking. The issue deals with something called a kingpin, the main pivot in the steering mechanism. ICBC believes the kingpin suffered normal wear and tear on his 33-year-old truck. Dwayne doesn't agree. There's no way it could have been bad before the accident because, like I said, the indicating signs are normally there with the cupping of the tires. The, the shaking of the steering wheel. When, it, when we jacked it up, you could actually move the tire back and forth, and that's not normal. The damage that we saw was due to the wearing down of the metal as opposed to any bend or break of the metal itself. And that's how we came, we came to the conclusion that the, the damage to the kingpin was as a result of the normal day-to-day use of that vehicle as opposed to the collision that recently happened. Dwayne says a motor vehicle inspection three months ago showed no issues. For the past year and a half, he's also been rebuilding his truck and the kingpin was still good. I'm not claiming anything for the other side to be repaired, just the part that was hit. Dwayne says this could set him back several thousand dollars. He intends to dispute this with ICBC. Grace Key, Global News. Well, on the subject of bad drivers, Vancouver police busted a driver doing 130 kilometers an hour on the Granville Street Bridge Saturday night. That's more than twice the legal limit. Police tweeting this photo, adding, the vehicle will spend the next seven days in the impound lot. The driver also received a ticket for excessive speeding. Vancouver police reminding the public to slow down for everyone's safety. One thing that was interesting about this file is on the back of the vehicle, there was a baby on board sticker. There was no baby on board. This driver is asking everybody else to be safe in and around him, but he feels the need to drive in excess of 80 kilometers over the posted speed, putting everybody else at risk. Now, our first look today at some of the evidence presented at the trial of Carlton Stevens. He's charged with attempted murder in a 2018 shooting that caused his ex-girlfriend to lose her unborn child. Today, a key witness for Crown, the owner of the print shop where the shooting occurred. Ramina Dea has more on why his testimony is so significant. 
Jeff Grayston pointed at the accused in the prisoner's box as he told the court he saw Carlton Stevens with a gun in his East Vancouver print shop last year. You have no doubt in your mind that that's who you saw on May 18th? Oh, yes. He's the one. Yeah. You're 100% sure? 100%. The case hinges on the identity of the shooter, the weapon. A 22 caliber makeshift gun approximately 70 centimeters long when fully assembled. The gun and a mask discovered under a dumpster near the crime scene. The pregnant victim, initials JY, was shot in the stomach. Grayston said he saw JY sitting on the floor with a hole in her belly. The victim, whose identity is protected by a publication ban, was six and a half months pregnant. The bullet severed the umbilical cord. The unborn child did not survive. It's incredibly tragic. I think it's very unfortunate that it had to happen, that it took place at all. Two people were captured on CCTV footage at the crime scene. Defense is suggesting someone else shot JY, and Grayston never saw Stevens with a gun, but he flat out disagreed. Grayston is hoping his testimony will help reveal the truth about what happened. Well, it was about justice. I want to do my part. So it was important for you? Oh, yes. Yes. I wasn't going to be afraid to show up for any reason. Cross-examination of Grayston should wrap on Tuesday. The witness who made the chilling 911 call, which was played in court, is expected to testify next. Dolly Middleton confronted Stevens and got in a fistfight with him. We'll bring you her testimony Tuesday. Ramina Dea, Global News. RCMP are hoping the public can help identify a suspect in an alleged sex assault at a Coquitlam restaurant over the summer. Investigators hope this composite sketch will look familiar to someone. They say the man who goes by the first name Jordan is a regular customer at a restaurant in the 500 block of Lowheed Highway. In August, it's alleged he sexually assaulted a female employee while she was working. Jordan is described as Caucasian or mixed ethnicity in his late 20s or early 30s and about 5'10 or 5'11 tall. Whenever you're doing an investigation, you have to look at a variety of things, surveillance video, witness statements, any physical evidence. If witnesses aren't fully cooperative or they're holding things back, that severely affects the investigation. We believe there's a possibility people want to protect the suspect, and that's why they're being a little reluctant. But the fact is, by being silent, you're also affecting the victim. Her life has been very much changed by this event. We'd like to conclude the file and get to the bottom of this. Well, the calls for some kind of intervention at Vancouver's Oppenheimer Park are growing louder with yet another violent incident tied to activity in the neighborhood. This time, a woman was injured in a targeted shooting. And many wonder what it's going to take for either the city or the park board to step in and do something. Aaron MacArthur reports. For the last month, Josh has lived in this group of tents at Oppenheimer Park. Despite a rash of violence around the camp, he says he feels safer here than living anywhere else on the streets. Do you feel safe here? Safer than other places? I do actually. I've never had anything touched here and I get along with 90, I'd say 95% of the people here, no problem. Saturday, a woman was shot on the outskirts of the park on Dunleavy. VPD say the woman was visiting someone who lives at the camp and say the shooting was targeted. 
We believe this to be an isolated and very targeted incident, but associated again to the Oppenheimer encampment and the gangs which are vying for control of the drug trade in the area. The shooting, just the latest in a string of incidents stretching back months. Weapons have been seized, a murder plot foiled, and several people have found themselves the victims of gun violence. Politicians say this is a situation that must stop. Fortunately, it was not a fatal shooting, but uh, it could have been. And, and I don't want to wait until we are actually in the situation where we have a loss of life. But the park board has voted to allow people to stay here until there's sufficient decent housing. Moving people from the park won't eliminate the drug dealers. The people who are homeless, uh, you know, when they're not uh, gathered together, uh, you know, they are actually at risk of o overdosing on their own in a quiet, dark corner somewhere uh, or being assaulted by others uh, as well. So, so it's a very complex uh, issue. An injunction to move the campers out isn't likely to come soon. According to the city, 130 people have already found housing, but there are dozens more who have yet to move on. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Well, we are all busier than ever, and some nights, let's face it, a home-cooked meal is just not in the cards. That has given rise to food delivery services, such as Skip the Dishes. But one recent meal delivery resulted in a call to Consumer Matters reporter Andrea, because when their order arrived, they actually got less than they bargained for, Anne. They certainly did. It was <laughs> quite a big surprise. Mm. Thanks, Sophie. According to the BC Restaurant and Food Services Association, food delivery apps are growing by about 20% a year. Many consumers love them for their convenience, but tonight we meet a Skip the Dishes customer who says he'll pass on the delivery service after his food order showed up at his doorstep in a questionable state. Like many of us, Frank Forchuk and his wife Julie enjoy the convenience of ordering a meal online and having it delivered to their door. Back in September, the couple used the food delivery app Skip the Dishes, placing an order with White Spot. I ordered a hamburger with the fixings and fries, and, um, and the thing that I was looking most forward to was the cheesecake. The order was placed and dropped off at their home by a Skip the Dishes driver. But when Frank and Julie checked their order, Frank says he made a shocking discovery. I can't believe what I saw. Basically, it was a half of a cheesecake like somebody had eaten. Immediately, Frank snapped a photo of the cheesecake and sent it to the White Spot general manager in South Surrey. Soon after, Frank says he received an email from the manager stating, I'm sorry for the condition in which you received your dessert. That is definitely not normal. Frank says White Spot offered him a $20 gift voucher off his next order. At the time, he never heard from Skip the Dishes. I think we're all taking our chances unless the restaurants come up with a better way of sealing the food. The BC Restaurant and Food Services Association says while convenient, it's important to hold delivery apps accountable. You know, I think it's really important, though, if you don't feel that, that package is, is, has integrity when you get it, is to phone that or go back to that app and tell them that. We reached out to both White Spot and Skip the Dishes on Frank's behalf to find out exactly what happened to Frank's cheesecake. Skip the Dishes never responded, but White Spot did, stating, We unfortunately cannot say what happened to the cheesecake once it was picked up by Skip the Dishes. We suspect it was simply dropped in transit, but our delivery partner has not confirmed the cause of damage. White Spot also telling Consumer Matters they photographed a fresh portion of cheesecake in the same size takeout container as Frank's order and deliberately dropped the container to inspect the damage. 
White Spot stated in a side-by-side comparison, the photos suggest the dessert delivered by Skip the Dishes was simply damaged in transit and not partially eaten or directly tampered with. But Frank says he's not convinced, vowing to pick up his food order himself in the future. I would never, ever use Skip the Dishes again. Now, Skip the Dishes eventually apologized to Frank and offered him a $20 voucher. But Frank says it's not about financial compensation, but rather food quality control. Meantime, White Spot says incidents of this nature are very rare. The restaurant says it will evaluate its packaging protocol for takeout meals and are working with their delivery partner to prevent this type of incident from happening again. And if you have a consumer issue for me, there's my email address at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right. Thanks, Anne. Well, while students across B.C. headed to school this morning, more than 7,000 kids in Saanich had nowhere to go. Their district support staff went on strike. As Kylie Stanton reports, the union says its workers are grossly underpaid. But the school district says its hands are tied. Picket lines are up and the coffee is out. QP Local 441 is prepared for a fight. We cannot continue to go on. At, at this level of, of short-staffed and short wages. From bus drivers to maintenance workers, front office staff to educational assistants, Saanich support workers walked off the job Monday morning. The district's teachers association refusing to cross picket lines, shutting down 18 sites across the region, leaving 7,300 students and their parents scrambling. Unfortunately, my 13-year-old son has been playing video games all day, even though I've tried to ask him to read a book. And my 16-year-old daughter uh, has just been on her phone. It's just too bad they can't come to agreement, and then our children's education is suffering. At issue, a wage disparity with other districts, in some cases by as much as $4 an hour. The problem dates back years, when the union voted to forego an increase in favour of improving benefits. And while both parties have said they're willing to keep bargaining, the employer's latest offer represents the maximum allowed under the provincial public sector mandate. We are obligated to negotiate within the mandate, and we have put every dollar that is available in the mandate into salary redress. But the province isn't budging, saying it's confident an agreement can be reached. And I hope if mediation is something that would be valuable, that uh, they return, both parties return to the use of a mediator. Until then, the strike will continue. There is no word on when the two parties will be returning to the bargaining table. I think one or two days people will cope and manage, um, but the longer it goes, um, you know, it's going to be tough. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Saanich. Well, dozens of B.C. farmers protested at the legislature in Victoria today against new laws that prevent them from putting secondary non-farm use buildings on their property. Bill 52 was enacted in response to concerns of people in communities like Richmond where mega mansions of up to 12,000 square feet were being built on farmland. The farmers say banning secondary homes prevents them from aging in place on their land and building multi-generational homes in order to pass on their farms to younger generations. The feeling of being blindsided by this legislation, um, which was preventing me from occupying my land in the way that I need to in order to make it viable. And the government says that they consulted with us. They didn't consult me. Not once. They did not send out any letter to every 
landowner in the ALR. They missed us all. So that's untrue. Okay. So if you are a farming family, there's no limit to how many houses you can have on your property if it supports the farming operation. But you do have to apply at, through an application process to the Agricultural Land Commission. Four families in Cranbrook have a neighbour to thank for the fact their homes are still intact. Ted Chernecki has the story of how witnesses first jumped into action to prevent disaster. Mom, dad and daughter were driving last Thursday night when something caught their eye in one of Cranbrook's fourplexes. We saw flames shooting up and at first uh, we thought maybe it was a propane fire or something. There's a burned out electric power washer that apparently was not plugged in at the time. Cause of the fire remains undetermined, unlike the family's father who was determined to do something. Well, my husband pulled over and we got out and he started pulling things away from the house uh, while I called 911. My mom said that was fast for them to stop what they were doing and get it on their seats and get on the fire truck. Thanks to the quick action, damage was limited to the one unit, but all four homes were at risk. Fortunately, this family was driving by and took the initiative to, to do what they could to help. And uh, certainly the fire department is very, very thankful, and so is the owner of the building. Each of the four units has its own outdoor faucet. The Good Samaritan family connected a garden hose to the neighbor's unit and saved the day. Good deed to come. That was a, that was a hell of a deed. Saved, you know, four people's homes can't say enough. We're just happy that it that nobody was hurt and that um, that the house is still standing and that everybody's okay. It seems nobody wants to be called a hero but in this day and age when it's so easy to see the cynical side of life it's embracing to know the Good Samaritan is alive and well in Cranbrook. Tetranac Global News. That is just one of the many desperate battles by firefighters to prevent the spread of the Getty Fire in Los Angeles, which threatens 10,000 homes and buildings in the area. Even the famous Getty Center and its sprawling grounds are in danger. Now, that fire ignited early today and spread very quickly, sparking evacuation orders for, as we mentioned, up to 10,000 homes. So far, 200,000 people have been ordered out. And as they leave everything behind, an admission from a power company that it might have started two of the fires. This is a classic example of a wind-driven fire. Just before dawn. This is a very tough fire to battle. It's in the hills. An inferno in the heavily populated hills west of downtown Los Angeles. The Getty Fire chewing through more than 500 acres within hours. More than 10,000 structures within the mandatory evacuation zone as residents as far west as Malibu were warned to be prepared to leave. They say evacuate, evacuate. If they say shelter in place, please shelter in place. If you are in the areas for a potential evacuation, get ready, get set, and if you want to go, go now. On the ground and from the air, more than 500 personnel in a coordinated attack against the flames throughout the morning. To say that conditions are a tinderbox is probably an understatement. To the north, more than 4,000 firefighters are battling the Kincaid Fire. It's tearing through wine country, fueled by hurricane-force winds. The fire more than doubled in size yesterday. The fire already destroying more than 100 structures and sending close to 200,000 residents fleeing. 
and hoping calmer winds forecast for the next 24 hours give firefighters the chance to gain an upper hand. Jennifer Bjorkland, NBC News, Healdsburg, California. If from the weather won't last long, the powerful Santa Ana winds are forecast to return on Tuesday night. More information tonight on at least one of the heroes of that mission to kill the head of ISIS. New video tonight shows the pile of rubble that was once the compound of Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, who killed himself and three children during a U.S. Special Forces raid over the weekend. President Donald Trump has declassified a photo of the U.S. military dog that was slightly injured in the attack. Although because it is part of a classified unit, the military is not releasing the dog's name. A terrible accident in the U.S. is another sign that those increasingly elaborate gender reveal videos might have gone too far. An Iowa grandmother died when her family's reveal went horribly wrong, turning a joyous event into an unimaginable tragedy. It's a colorful way to make the big announcement. Boy or girl? But as these gender reveals become more popular, they're also becoming more outlandish and sometimes dangerous. This weekend, a 56-year-old Pamela Crymeyer was killed at a gender reveal in Iowa. The family was trying to make the announcement with colored powder, but officials say they used gunpowder and metal tubing to set up the surprise, inadvertently creating a pipe bomb. It blew apart and one of those pieces unfortunately uh, hit the victim and, and caused death. In 2017, an Arizona man shooting at a powder-filled target sparked the sawmill wildfire, burning 47,000 acres, costing millions in damage. And this reveal of a baby boy sent passengers scrambling to safety. There's plenty of other methods to do this. The volatility of, of any type of explosive device is, is just, it's not worth it. An important reminder to prevent a joyous moment from turning tragic. Blaine Alexander, NBC News. In Health Matters tonight, a warning from the BC Centre for Disease Control that would seem to be a matter of common sense. The centre says there's been an alarming uptick in mushroom poisonings this year. More than 200 calls as of September 30th. Two-thirds of those calls involve children under the age of five. The BC Centre for Disease Control is urging people to be very careful with unidentified mushrooms. If they're foraging for food, they need to be, you know, only stick to mushrooms that are easy to identify, that are well known to be edible, uh, and if you're not sure of what it is, do not eat it. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. It is not a movie set, although it sure looks like one. The story behind a bus in a hole coming up after the forecast. What's that movie with Sandra Bullock? Speed. Speed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and its sequel. Speed 2? Speed 2, two I believe. <laughs> All right. Uh, should we check in with uh, Christy yes. right now? What a beautiful day, blue sky. Although, yay, yeah, a little cool. Yeah, it's a little cool for you to just got back from vacation. I'm That's sure true. you felt the chill. Yeah. <laughs> uh, welcome back, Chris. Yeah, it's a beautiful sunset out there. But quickly, as soon as that sun sets, which happens just before 6 o'clock, the temperatures begin to plummet. Tonight, we could be close to the freezing mark once again with a lot of frost. All right, trick-or-treating forecast. That's all anyone cares about this week. Uh, sunset will happen uh, on Thursday at 5.52 p.m. It will be dry but chilly, so you won't need your gumboots or your rain jacket. But the kids may need an extra layer. 
here. So maybe lawn johns underneath the uh, costume. Here's a look at the temperature specifically with your trick-or-treat forecast. At 6 p.m., we'll likely see about 7 degrees. Again, yes, dry, but cool. But by about 8 p.m., temperatures will drop significantly. So it may only be 4, could be even 3 degrees in a few areas. So dark and chilly for everyone, especially if you're staying out uh, late. Now, here's a look at today, though. And look at this rainbow-colored uh, tree. Thank you to Blair for sharing that photo with us. Blue sky right across the province with terrific fall colors today. Tonight, though, it is going to get cold and we'll see some strong winds. So what we've got is big Arctic Ridge sitting in the interior. That's forcing that cold Arctic air out towards the coast. It will be through the Fraser Valley funneling out towards southern parts of Metro Vancouver. Gusts up to about 50 kilometers an hour. That's not warning criteria. It's not nearly as strong as what we saw on Friday. So we're not looking at um, power outages likely, but it will make it feel even colder, especially since tonight it will drop down to zero degrees in Metro Vancouver. And with that wind, a lot of areas expecting wind chills. Minus 19 with the wind chill in Fort St. John. Minus 12 in, in Nelson. Minus 14 in Williams Lake. So cold tonight, but at least it's not snowing as well, which it is in the prairies along with windy conditions. So we're lucky here because we'll be enjoying sunshine again tomorrow. But you'll note here, yes, a lot of areas just making their way up above the freezing mark and that's it. One, two degrees is a high in the interior. Eight for Metro Vancouver. We'll see that can those conditions for the next several days right through until weekend. And yes, nice and dry for the Halloween. And one last shot of the fall colors today. Mm. Uh, this one in Surrey. Thank you to Rick for oh, sharing that with us. Great. Thanks, Christy. Still slightly stuck in vacation mode. I was raking leaves in flip-flops yesterday. So. <laughs> well, it is Vancouver. So. It is Vancouver. I'm sure a lot of guys were doing exactly. that. Exactly. All right, now to that unusual traffic mishap that turned a lot of heads in Pittsburgh. A sinkhole opened up suddenly and swallowed the back half of a transit bus. A car behind it almost dropped into the hole as well. They were apparently stopped at a traffic light when the road opened up. Driver and one passenger were on board the bus. Passengers suffered minor injuries. The car was pulled away easily, but the bus was sitting on top of electrical and gas lines. And they had to be pretty careful calling in a crane to carefully lift it straight up and out of the hole. An unscheduled stop, to be sure. <laughs> All right. Nobody was, nobody was hurt? Well, Just my, minor injuries. Minor injuries. And did you have to ring the bell to get out? <laughs> Probably not in that case. <laughs> Squire, good to see it's been you. It's been a long time since I've been on a bus, actually. I was going to say, you know that? I know that bit. Uh, welcome back, incidentally. Oh, thank you. 2-1. That is hit into left center field. Back at the wall. Now, of course, a World Series home run is always impressive, but it's the way Washington Nationals fan Jeff Adams got his souvenir ball during last night's game that's making headlines. In each hand, and he just let it hit him right in the chest or the gut. <laughs> there it is. A beer in each hand. Just take it off the... So he didn't spill it there. Two fisting gets him a fist bump from all the rest of the fans. We'd like to say that no beer was sacrificed for the ball, but the video seems to indicate maybe a little bit of it spelled. Regardless, Adams did get his souvenir. He had just the right amount of padding here. I think so. I'm guessing in the U.S., at a World Series game, two beers cost more than a hospital That's visit for broken true. ribs. That's so it's like, I got a choice. <laughs> anyway, um, it was good. I've, but we've also shown people holding infants while catching the ball in the other hand. Mom's not always too happy about it either. She'd be less happy if he <laughs> dropped the baby and then made the catch. 
losing that 5-1 lead against Washington last Friday was doubly painful since the Canucks kept Alex Ovechkin and all the big capital scorers off the score sheet that night. But Vancouver is 6-1-1 in its last eight games. Florida is in town tonight, or Florida if you like. Uh, which played yesterday in Edmonton. Thatcher Demko will start in goal for the Canucks as they have given Jacob Markstrom a chance to reset after the capital punishment he suffered in that infamous third period against the Capitals. Uh, also tonight, Louis Erickson gets the play because Tyler Mott has a broken foot from blocking a shot. It'll be Louis's first game since opening night against Edmonton. Feel like Christmas? <laughs> yeah, kind of. It's a, it's a little bit different situation for me. And... Um, I mean, I've been trying to work hard in practice and uh, in the gym and just stay in shape. And, uh, um, and now I get an opportunity to, to play a game. So uh, I'm, I'm excited. Have you had to change the way that you played the game as well as your mindset? Because it's different from when you first signed as a free agent to where you now are. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, mean I, I probably changed a little bit the game I, I used to play. Um, but um, the same way, I still feel like again. I can bring something to the table and, and be a good, effective player out there. And, and all you can do is just uh, try to work hard and uh, off the practice and, and uh, just try to work on a few things that they need us need me to do. And uh, that's all you can do. And um, uh, that's what I've been trying to do. Uh, he's been working hard. It's not easy when you don't play. He's been a consummate pro. Uh, well, I talked about it yesterday. He was working hard. I think uh, sometimes with young guys, if they don't play for a while, it, I think it can affect them a lot more than uh, an older guy and a guy that's been around. And he knows that, you know, he's, you know as a coach that he's going to give you his best when he gets in. It's the Canucks' 50th anniversary. It's also the Sabres' 50th anniversary. They're up one nothing against Arizona. Look at the passing. Nice. Nice. I like what you've done here. Jeff Skinner, 2 nothing. And then the magic puck. Connor Garland shot from an impossible angle somehow gets in. They're in overtime, tied 2-2. WTA finals, it's round robin, then the top four go to the knockout stage. Well, and it's Bianca Andreescu, hey, take a picture of that. The between the legs shot against Simona Halep. Andreescu won the first set, but then she started to get a bit of a back issue going. Her back just got worse and worse. She lost the second set, and then she would lose the third set, 6-3. She is supposed to play Wednesday against Karolina Pliskova. Halep beats her in three sets. Well, things went so well for the Canucks and the Aquilinis, I guess, with their first foray into owning an E-League team, E-Sports League team, with the Vancouver Titans, who are runners-up in the Overwatch League, that they're now involved with the game Call of Duty. They own a team that will represent Seattle in a franchise-based Call of Duty League, which starts next year. You're watching a video game that has sales topping $15 billion. That's billion with a capital B. And starting in 2020, eSports Call of Duty League will feature Seattle, owned by Canucks Sports and Entertainment, as its newest franchise. So to just touch on the global phenomenon success, I mean, uh, right now, um, Call of Duty in its first week uh, uh, available to 
mobile downloads surpassed 100 million downloads. To put that into perspective, it's, it's the number one downloaded app in over 150 countries right now. So to be a part of that at the grassroots level and, and, and be a part of that first season, it's, it's pretty remarkable. You know, what's, what's five years, 10 years, what's 20 years look like? You know, it's, it's pretty special. Canuck Sports and Entertainment is all in on the eSports front. They own the professional gaming rights for the entire Pacific Northwest region. The Call of Duty squad now the eSport cousins of the Vancouver Titans. Titans just finished their inaugural season in the Overwatch League, where they made it all the way to the championship final. We're in the space now with two, with two franchises, with the Vancouver Titans, and after the phenomenal success of, of season one, uh, when this opportunity came around, uh, we looked at it and we just thought with the proven success of Call of Duty, it's, it's going into its 16th year, um, that this would be the right fit. Seattle's Call of Duty team is locked and loaded to make an impact come 2020. Its roster is led by Damon Karma Barlow, the only three-time Call of Duty champion. And don't kid yourself, this is breaking news kind of stuff in the esports world where there's currently over two billion people gaming. What a performance from Karma! We just announced our five-man uh, five starting roster um, not even 25, 24 hours ago, and we've already, uh, we're just coming up on 300,000 views, um, which is just remarkable. You know, in the eSports space, I think that's remarkable, period. So um, it, it just shows how, how uh, what this fan base is really looking at, looking for, and the passion behind it already. Pac-Man was a violent game, too. That's he was true. eating those ghosts all the time. That's hey, true. a little shout-out to, or a big shout-out to uh, Canada's men's field hockey team, which qualified yeah, for the Olympics right. on the weekend with a shootout oh, win over Ireland. There you go. Cheers. The reason I was on my phone is someone's asking, when's the Fright Night story coming up? So it's The answer is right, right now. now. Coming up now, so watch it. Say hi to whoever that is. I will. Uh, okay, so anyway, if, uh, if these ghoulish figures freak you out, you may want to watch uh, the story kind of like that. Yes. <laughs> We have a lot of clowns in this one, a lot of clowns. Anyway, I love going to Fright Nights. The actors are great. And I thought, you know what? Let's meet these people because behind those masks, they are people. When you visit Fright Nights at the PE, this is what awaits you. Every phobia you've ever had. Perhaps it's snakes, complete with a snake man. And every nightmare you've ever had. But if you're able to get in before they open the gates, you will find that ghouls are people too. I am Coco the Clown. Apparently today my face got ripped off. Oopsie. It takes makeup artists, costume designers, and high-end masks to get these actors literally and figuratively into character. And it fits to your face, so... You can do facial expressions and it's and it kind of like hooks into your mouth almost. And it seems every one of these actors I'm very happy! loves this gig. I like your bunny, what's its name? Name's Rutabaga, she likes belly rubs. Want a rubber belly? Rubber belly! It's, it's the best job in the world. You get paid to scare people. Um, plus it's a great group of people to work with. We're more like family than we are employees. <laughs> and this job is like an amateur psychology course. You'll learn a lot about people. You can learn how to read people and their body language. That's fantastic. Helps me in real life too. You know what I mean? And if you are a Fright Nights actor, I am ready to cry and ready to scare. The ultimate moment for you is when you scare the insert bodily function here out of someone. 
there was a group of people that came through and when I jumped out and did the scare, one of the girls dropped to the ground, like just absolutely like flat out. And when she got up, she exclaimed that she pooped herself. I've had three people pee their pants over the years I've been here. I've had people run out of the park because I've scared them so bad. Oh my God! <laughs> but if you can't scare them, at least put a smile on their face. <laughs> Oh, that's creepy. Oh my gosh, I can't. Well, it's nightmares, wow. isn't it? It's nightmares for you. It's horrible. Oh my goodness. But now you see they're just nice I do know folks. that, though. They're real. Behind Even when I'm the there, I know that. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Just like spiders are nature's engineers. No, no. Right? Actually, there are no. some giant no. mechanical spiders. spiders. Not people, too. <laughs> Thanks for watching. Have a good night. Good night, all.